attempt to answer the question, where do we meet God at? And what does the meeting of God is like? So Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and reside in our midst so that we are able to become united through the preaching of your word and through the studying and discussion of the word of God, of the word incarnate, who is Jesus Christ in our midst. Lord, may your presence draw us into the place where we become united with you in that life and in the abundance of that life that you have promised. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The text today I want to draw your attention to is Jesus Christ being the head, and therefore the body of Jesus Christ is us. But not us individually. Us individually, like I spoke last week, is the temple. But us collectively as a church is called the body of Jesus Christ, or like the song that we sung, the bride of Jesus Christ. Being in the body of Jesus Christ, meaning come together, together as a church, then you are the body of Jesus Christ. Where do you meet God? You meet God in Christ. Where is Christ? Christ is in the body of Jesus Christ. That's where we meet God. When we say, where do we meet God? We meet God in the church. Any church? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he is the head. Where two or three gathered, there I am in the midst of them. That passage I just quote to you does not exist in the Bible. You know what's missing? Did you identify what's missing in that passage I just give you? Where two or three gather together, there I am in the midst of them. What's missing in that passage that I just quote? Where two or three gather in my name. If any time you go to this church or any church that does not speak the name of Jesus Christ, that does not speak about Christ, that meeting has no Christ in it. Jesus does not promise to be in a meeting where Christ is not discussed. The Jewish scripture contains the Old Testament. So the Christian Bible has the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the Jewish scripture, they call that the Tanakh or the 24, it has only the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it's subdivided into three sections. And one section is called the Torah. The Torah is the books of Moses, or the Pentateuch, as we call it. In the Jewish tradition, when the temple was destroyed, when the name of God was forgotten, they don't know how to pronounce the name of God anymore. How do people meet God? So here's a the Mishnah, the Mishnah, which is the commentary on the Torah, the Mishnah says this, when two or three people come together and they discuss the Torah, God's presence is in their midst. God's presence, they have a term for it. It's called the Shekinah glory. God's presence is the glorious being of God manifested to us. The Shekinah glory was there in the temple of God in the old days. God manifested himself in many ways, but there is only one way where he manifests himself, his presence to the people, that is where he communicates with the people, and that is at the mercy seat. The mercy seat was on the Ark of Covenant. Where was the Ark of Covenant? The Ark of Covenant was in the temple. In which part of the temple was the Ark of Covenant? The most holy place. 
I want to break this concept. A lot of the Christianese say that God is with me. When you say God is with me, you're not, I'm sure you don't mean that God's presence is with you. Because the Old Testament and the New Testament, God has not changed. The Testament have changed, the times have changed, but God has not changed. So in the Old Testament, when God reveals himself, he reveals himself in a particular place, in a specific place, and with the specific ordinances. Meaning, there has to be a place where God show himself. God does not show up when we think that he shows up. God is not with me whenever I want to. God has a specific place that he actually shows up. And when he show up, there is this presence, like we sing, this presence is called the Shekinah glory of God. The priest goes into the holy place. The priest has to prepare himself. The priest has to put on the robe. And when he goes into the most holy place, and if God accepts his offering, the offering outside, the burnt offering, the incense offering, and then he goes into the most holy place. If God accepts all that offering, this is what happens. The glory of God comes down into this holy place. And in that holy place, the presence of God is manifested in a supernatural light. It is a miraculous light. It's not the same light as the photon particle. The two hydrogen fuse together to form helium, and in that fusion, something comes out, and that is photon. So it forms in the sun. The photon travels from the core out into the surface of the sun, and from the sun, it travels to Earth, well, to many places, but the ones that hit the Earth, you know how long it takes for the photon to go from the sun to the Earth? Eight minutes. The light outside, you see outside there? That light is a million-year-old light. Think of that concept. That light you see out there is a million-year-old light. It took a million years to get from the core of the sun traveling to the surface of the sun, and then takes only eight minutes from the sun to here. That photon of light that creates life on this planet. Without it, we don't exist. That light, that photon that gives life to everything, that li every living thing on the earth is different than the light that is in the most holy place. Such as the light that you see out there, that million-year-old light that you see right now, that gives life to everything that you see that lives on this planet, there is the light that gives life in your soul. And that light comes from the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God in the most holy place. I'll just let you think about that for a minute. Without the light from the sun, the photon from the sun, we, we cannot live. Without God's glorious light, the Shekinah glory light, we are spiritually dead. Where's the temple? It's been destroyed. Well, where's the Ark Covenant, the mercy seat? It's gone. So where do God meet with his people now? So where do God meet with us today? It starts with a seed in the beginning. God spoke. And what he spoke, things became alive. I want you to think about this. If God did not speak, would we exist? No. Was life with God before he spoke? He was the life, but we, our life, cannot exist without God speaking. 
Now I'm using the term speaking because that's very important to what we are going to discuss today. The act of speaking requires a speaker and a hearer, two people. When you are by yourself, there is no communication going on. When there are no communication going on, the presence of God is not there. The only place where communication is going on is in the body of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God spoke. That speaking, that voice that spoke was the word of God. The word became flesh and that word was, that word was with God, that was with God and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is the Lord Jesus Christ. That word incarnate, meaning the word, the intangible word of God at that time was spoken out. It took on form and it became us. That word became us. Our flesh, basically. But then there was a particular word of God that remained the same essence with God that also became a human and that was, I will give you the reason why that has to happen for our salvation. But in the beginning was the seed. This seed of God was incorruptible versus the seed that was corruptible. When I use the term corruptible, who do you think about? The first man. Adam, he was corruptible. The challenge between the devil with Adam and he failed. The challenge between the devil and Jesus Christ in the wilderness and Jesus prevailed. Incorruptible, he could not be corrupted. I'll give you everything. And Jesus rejected it. He defeated the devil because he was incorruptible. He is unable to be corrupted. Now, if I want an apple tree, I have to plant it with a apple seed. If I want an olive tree, then I have to plant it with a, an olive seed. If you were planted with an apple tree, then what kind of fruit will you bear? Fig, of course. No? Whoever you are came from whatever you were planted with. So if you are an evil person, then you were planted with an evil seed. And guess what? We are all evil. No one is righteous. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, each one of us is evil because we were planted with the seed of the corruptible man. Who was he? He was Adam. Now Jesus is presented to us as a new seed. And this seed is incorruptible. And this seed is also the truth. Look with me in Luke chapter 8 verse 11. The seed is the word of God, the truth. When we say the truth, I want you just to simplify your thought. The truth is everything that God spoke. The truth is not the written word. The truth is what God spoke. Let me draw the distinction for you older folks out there. When you read something in the word of God, you accept it as the truth. There's a higher level of truth out there through the word of God. And that is what God is saying right now. That is the truth. Your mind might be saying, wait a minute, but I read somewhere in the scripture, it says this, but now I read and it says this. Which is the truth? The truth is whatever God's saying. That is the truth. It's a little bit, uh, it's a hard concept to understand. I want to talk about this because you have heard over the last week, I hope none of you would say that we never talk about this. We always, I bring this up and we talk about it 
so that you will know that we do not shy away from difficult and hard to understand issues. One of the worship leaders had said that he is on shaky ground. He did not say that he lost his faith, but he's on shaky ground, and that he's not even sad about it, meaning he, don't, he doesn't care. It's code for it. I don't care. It is because these hard issues, these hard questions, are not talked about. This is paradox. If you phrase something that's hard, meaning you don't want to hear it, and if it's talked about it, you won't understand. So let's just leave that aside. Never talk about the discrepancies in the Bible. Never talk about the miracles. Never talk about, there list many things that's never talked about. Is it true that's never talked about? Is it true that the church never talked about these things? Or is it true that you don't want to hear it? I would say the latter is true. We talk about it, you just don't pay attention, you don't want to care. Because if you do care, you do your research, you find out. It's nothing new. Why is there evil in the world? Because we are free to make mistakes and to do evil things. But there are also those be willing to give up their lives, willingly, freely, to demonstrate love. Without it, the world has no love. There's evil in the world because we need to see love. We need to experience love. And we need to have a chance to sacrifice and make sacrifices. That's what makes the world beautiful. There's evil, there's pain, because there's someone who loves you and will demonstrate that through all the hardship and giving up their lives. Because when Adam sinned, we all committed to do evil things. All of our free will and free choices are done in an evil way to hurt each other. So that those who have the seed of Jesus Christ, those who are born of the different stock, are free also to give themselves, to sacrifice, to be a hero. You would not pay to go see the Marvel movies if there are no villains. What draw you to these stories? The heroes. That's what draws, that's what motivates us. That's what causes us to want to be a part of someone's life, to make it better. Love, ultimately, it comes down to love. Where you can choose to hate someone, now you can choose to love someone. That's why there's evil in the world. Without it, what is there? A bunch of robots, machines? We continue to talk about it, but does it go into your consciousness? Do you think about it? The seed is also the mercy seat of Christ. The ark is lost, and so God, instead of having us build a new ark, because we know that the ark of covenant was built by, by men, and so it could be destroyed by men. Yes, it, it can be built by men, it can be destroyed by men. So God has a different plan. He's going to build this ark for us. He's going to build a place where he will communicate with us. And that place that God built is Jesus Christ. The new Ark of Covenant that is not built with human hands, but it came down from heaven. That is the place where we meet God now. Ark Covenant got destroyed. God says, I will give you a new place where I communicate with you, and that is through my son, Jesus Christ. I will send him to you from heaven, and I will give him to you. 
how then now we have the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you have this ark? How do you have this place where God speaks to us? Holy Spirit, yes, He is instrumental. He is the person in whom we can have access to this place, this holy place, this holy of holies, the Ark of Covenant. Okay? In John chapter 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. How do we get Christ to be in us? How do we get access to this new Ark of Covenant that is Jesus Christ? Well, it's impossible. You don't have access to it. We were planted with Adam's seed. Christ came from heaven. So how do you change the seed? Think about it this way. Let's say that Adam was apple. You are planted with an apple seed. And now what kind of tree are you? Apple. And you will produce what kind of fruit? Apples. But Jesus came from heaven. And he has the presence of God. Now, he is a different seed. How do you get to be to have a seed if you're already an apple seed? Jesus came from heaven, but if he's a seed, he can't save you. So what he has to do is he has to be planted in this world. And he grew up and he became a tree. Now, here's the part where it's mind-blowing. He grows up and he is a tree, and in that, this is a perfect tree. It's undefiled, it's the truth, it is eternal, it's from God, the presence of God is in this tree. How do you get this other tree that's from Adam to be part of the tree of Jesus Christ? What he needs to do, what God would do, is that he needs to chop off the branch that's from Adam and then graft it over to the tree, the other tree. That's the only way. Isn't that mind-blowing? That is amazing! You can't come up with a better solution than that, but there are some problems. Let me give you some problems. First of all, you can't graft an apple tree to an olive tree. They're not compatible. They're different kinds of tree. This is why Jesus Christ came from the line of David. And then before David was Abraham, and he was called the second Adam. Same substance, different essence. That is why he has to be born of a virgin, and he has to be human, just like Adam. He has to be a man, just like Adam. Now we have compatibility. Okay, you follow me with me so far? So now, the Adam tree, the first Adam tree, and the second Adam tree are now the same substance, but different essence. Now, you can chop off a branch from the Adam tree and graft it into the branch of the perfect tree, the second Adam tree. Now it's compatible. If you take God, you can't graft yourself to God. You have to graft a human to a human. I need a heart replacement. I want a, a human heart. I think it works better than a pig's heart. Don't you? If I want some transplant, I, I want to be of the same kind of organ that I get to be the same substance, don't I? Or would you want a pig's heart? There is also another incompatibility, and that is sin. Okay, so when we are cut off from Adam, 
the sin is still there. So how can you take the branch that came from Adam and graft it into the tree that is Jesus Christ, which has no sin? The same shape. This is something that Jesus says. With man, it is impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. You must be born again. He said to Nathaniel, before we get grafted into Christ, even though we are human of the same substance of Jesus Christ, you need to have your inner self be transformed. And that can only happen through rebirth. That's right. So you have to be converted, rebirth into the kingdom of God, now grafted into Christ. Now compatibility is there. Now you can start growing in Christ. Answer the question, now you are part of Christ, where is the temple? Where is the presence of God? Are there some branches in Christ that don't grow? Let me give you another verse that you look at, Romans chapter 11, verse 17. And if some of the branches be, wait, what? Be broken off. What is the reason? Why would they get broken off? The Bible says that God will break off the branches that don't bear fruit. What does God do to those branches? Throw them into the, the fire where they get burnt. So yes, there are branches that do not bear fruit. And the Apostle Paul saying this, that God has broken off the branches and you being a wild olive tree, meaning from different stock, were grafted among them and with them partakes of the roots and fatness of the olive tree. Grafting works like this. You cut off the branch, and where the branch was cut off, you make an indentation. You split the tree open, and then you cut the new branch, and you shave off, and you create a wedge, and you put the wedge of the new branch into the old place where the old branch was. And then you let the growth happen automatically. You gotta cut into the old tree. You gotta cut off the old branch, and you gotta stick the new branch in where the old branch was. Why was Jesus beaten? Why was Jesus pierced? Why was Jesus suffered? You see, the tree of God had to undergo suffering, has to be bruised, has to be pierced, so that it creates a place for us, so that we can be grafted into Christ. I want you to think about that. You remember when Thomas came and Jesus said, put your hand, put your hand into my hand, put your hand into my side. The symbol of that can't be any more vivid than being grafted into Christ. Put your hand into my side. The incredible love of God for us, that God was bruised, was beaten, was cut up so that we can be grafted into him. Now, when you grow, and if the branch is grafted into Christ, the reason is this. You were not wrong when you said that those who are in Christ is incorruptible. You are not wrong. Before the time of Jesus Christ, the stock of Abraham were corruptible. Even though they were the chosen people, and therefore you read in this passage that God has broken off the old branches so that you can be grafted in. But the difference is this is a new tree. The Old Testament was a shadow of what's real in the New Testament. 
The Old Testament was Abraham by faith. The New Testament is a new tree replacing the old one. The branches that come out of Jesus Christ is and will be incorruptible. If you are grafted into Christ, you are incorruptible. Now, when you are in Christ, you will, if you abide in me, then you will bear much fruit. Promise. Unconditional promise. If you are in Christ, that's what it means by being in Christ, grafted in Christ, you will bear much fruit. And if you take this fruit, if you take the olive fruit, and you cut it open, what do you see inside? You see a seed. What is that seed? That is the original seed. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the place where you meet God. Isn't that something? The seed that is in the olive is the same seed that the tree was planted. Even though you were grafted into the olive tree, you're not the original plant. But that seed, when that fruit is produced, it produced with Christ as the seed. If Christ is the seed and he is the place where God meets us, know you not that you are the temple of God, where God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwell in you is that temple, that is the seed. So now we know that the seed that is in you, the fruit that comes from this tree, is the place where you meet God. How do you meet God? There are several steps in which it will take, and this is not step that we go and then we'll never come back again, but it's the, the series of sequences that we go through. First of all, when you are born in Christ, you need to learn a new language. And that language is the scriptural language. If you don't know the language, then you cannot communicate, and the Holy Spirit cannot communicate with you. So the biblical language is the language in which you and I, we need to learn. Language change. Language shape your brain. An Eastern person or a person who speaks Chinese has a different mind mapping than a person who learns German, for example. The, the brain neurological mapping are different because of the language in which they are brought up. A person who are multilingual has a different brain than a person who is monolingual. If you are bilingual, spend just a little bit more time training yourself in the language that you're not good at, because when you are bilingual, you are much more capable of learning a lot more things than if you are monolingual. Those of you who are fluent in, in two languages, and if one of those languages is a monosyllabic language, you will be much more efficient in mathematics. Let me give you an example. Count from 1 to 11. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. What's going on? What's happening to number 7? It has two syllables. Wait, why is that important? 8, 9, 10, 11. It has three syllables. Now, anyone speak Chinese? Your working memory, not your short-term memory, is like a register. Some people have more, but normally people have eight to 10. Now, if you have to store the numbers in your brain so that you can do calculation, which language is more efficient? Chinese is much more efficient because you need to use two registers, two memory slots to store number seven. Whereas monosyllabic language, you only need one register. So you can remember one more number. 
the brain is affected by the language. So if you learn the heavenly language, your brain changes. If you learn the Bible, your brain changes. When your brain changes, your biological makeup, your neurological makeup also change. And this is how we communicate with God. I'm spending a lot of time on this because it's important that you understand that we're not just speaking hypothetically here. We're speaking biologically and we are speaking in material form. Because this is real stuff. Learning the Word of God changes your brain. It changes how you think. You're learning a new language and you can move and effectively have life in this new lingual system. The second way in which we can have access to that temple of God is through prayer. Now, what is language without communication? You don't need one. Why would you need language to speak to yourself? You just imagine. Language is used to communicate between two or more people. That's what the meaning of language is. So if you think you can meet with God by yourself, it doesn't happen. But you say, but God is the other person. It doesn't work that way. Because how do you speak to God? Prayer. That's right. You speak to God in prayer. And you speak verbally. There is a, when God didn't speak, nothing happened. But when God spoke, everything happened. There's a verbal, there's a verbal event that happens. I want to talk about the importance of the tree. Now, the tree is where all the branches get plugged in. Okay. The branch cannot bear fruit if it's not plugged into a tree. So the branch has to be plugged into the tree to bear fruit. And therefore, you will experience and see if you don't go to church, if you're not plugged into the tree, you bear no fruit. You have no life. There's no communication going on. Even though you said, but I have the seed. You have no seed when you don't plug into the tree. Because how does seed form? Does the branch itself bear fruit? No. The, it has to come from the tree into the branch, and then it forms a fruit on the branch. So the branch cannot exist by itself. It cannot bear fruit. You can, can only bear fruit when you're plugged into the tree, and that is called the body of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Let's look at that. For the body is not one member, but many. Meaning the body of Jesus Christ comprised of many people. And that is where the body of Christ is. And when we come together, the tree serves its purpose. The tree does not serve itself. The fruit is therefore for what? Why does the tree bear fruit for? What's the fruit for? Does the tree eat its own fruit? No, it doesn't eat its own fruit. The tree bears fruit so that other creatures, animals, people can partake of the fruit of the tree. It's for other people. When we come together, we bear fruit. It's not for us. Well, it could be for us, but it's for other people. That is the purpose of the tree. How did Zacchaeus see Christ? He has to climb the tree. There has to be a tree for him to climb up there to see Jesus. How did the, the birds make their nests? form it on the branches of the tree. It serves a purpose for all the creatures out there, even for human. The body of Christ is necessary. The church is a physical place where people physically interact with each other. I believe this. I believe that in the physical interaction among people with each other, the essence of who we are interact with each other. We are physical beings. We are made out of material. And we need to interact with each other to have that be real. All those friends I have on my Facebook, 
they're not real. And there's a reason why they're not real, because I don't see them, I don't touch them, there's no communication. Have you ever communicate with someone over text messaging or through an online means, and they totally get the whole thing wrong? You say something, and you explicitly say something very clear in the text, but they just read it and they, what's missing? Interpersonal interaction, the nuances, the way that we move our body language is missing. And that is the vital component to human interaction, is how we communicate and talk to each other in real life. It is necessary. The church of God has been established in the beginning as a physical church when they come together. It would have been easy when they were persecuted to send letters back and forth, but they didn't. They risked their life to come together because there are several things that happens when you come together. All life comes within the church, and it is comes through the Lord's table. This is one of the places where life comes in. That is why I want you to be baptized so that you can participate in the communion, and that is the Lord's table. The Lord's table is where he gives his flesh and his blood, and in the flesh of Jesus Christ is life. Sometimes in the Protestant tradition, we don't believe that there's life in commemoration, but that's not the teaching of the Reformer. That's not the teaching of Calvin. He did not teach that. It's not commemorative. When we come together in the Lord's table, we partaking of life. If you don't participate in the Lord's table, you have no life. Because the life is in the body of Jesus Christ and he communicates to us when we participate in the communion. We participate in life through the lives of other people around us. Can you love, just love, without an object, without a subject? Can you just love? You can't. Or you could be a narcissistic. That's it, that's all you need. You need yourself and a mirror. That's not the definition of love. There has to be an object, a person in whom you love. Jesus Christ loved us, and he presented himself in the flesh. He didn't say, oh, I love you from heaven. No, he came down. He presented himself in the flesh. And he said, I love you. Here I am. Touch me. See the bleeding, the pain. This is how we express love when we come together. This is how life is, because love is life. Love is the transmission of life. When you love someone, when someone loves you, that's how life is transmitted. The brokenness that we see in society today, the heartbreaks, is because of the lack of love. It's because of the hatred. The violence you see in recent news, was it? If there was love there, if there was just a basic, fundamental love for the existence of someone else. If just that basic love is there, it won't happen. But because it wasn't there, it's not there, all it was was hatred. All you see there was just raw anger, hatred. And what do you see? You see murder, you see killing, you see shooting, you see all these things. But if love is there, and love is only there in the body of Jesus Christ, Despite the differences, despite where we've come from, wherever we were, I went to a church in Canada, never been there before. When I walk into that church, people accept me. I'm Asian, for crying out loud, I'm from California, from Bay Area, all the reasons to hate me. But no, in the body of Christ, they receive you, they love you, and we love each other. They wear poison, because when you open the door and let everything in, well, 
some bad stuff come in too. So be aware. Make sure that your doctrine is correct. Otherwise, you get some weird stuff, some weird doctrine coming in, and it messes with your mind. It's important that you know the doctrine, and you know what's real, what's right, and what's wrong. Okay. Lastly, how do you meet God? Number one, you meet God through the promise of Jesus Christ. In the body, Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We meet God where two or three gather in his name. Okay, we get together with our Christian friends. We go away camping for a while, and you just hang around, go kayaking, go hiking, and that's all you do. There's no prayer. You don't talk about Christ. Is there life there? Where two or three people get together, even if they don't eat, they don't drink, they don't do anything, just sit and talk about Christ. I walk away that night, spending some time talking to Tom. I got into my car and I was filled with life. When we talk about Christ, the subject of our discussion, the topic of our discussion is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's life there. Two or three gathered in my name. He is there. That's how we meet God. When we speak Christ, He is there. When you don't, it doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not. When you get together with one people, two people, or a hundred thousand people, you don't speak about Jesus Christ. His name is not mentioned. He is not there. Secondly, the reason why we come to church so that we can interact with each other by speaking the Word of God. The Word of God becomes alive when we speak it, not when we think it. So the Word of God comes alive when we speak it. Romans 10, 17, So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we come together, we speak the Word of God like you do today. You hear the Word of God being preached, God is here. He promised to be here, and He is here. Two or three gather, the Shekinah glory of God is in our midst when we speak about God. When we praise and worship God, Psalm 22, 3 said, But thou art holy, and thou that inhabitest the praises of your people. Don't think that when you sing the song together in the congregation that God's not here. When God is praised, He promised, not because we have the most awesome band that gets put together, see, that worship leader. When God is praised, He is there. He promised, and He comes there. It's not that we are so good at singing. So praise and worship ushers the presence of God. Don't despise it. Be a part of it. Be particular. Now, if you're standing in a congregation and everyone else is participating in worship, and you're not, you're not participating in the presence of God. So praise and worship is how God meets with us. Number four, when we come together, we are bringing the offering to God. And by bringing the offering to God and God accepting our offering, that is how we are meeting with God, the exchange in offering. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when you come together, every one of you have a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. So when we come together, contribute, share with each other. The new knowledge that you've discovered, share those things, build each other up, that's where you get life from. Interdependency, we depend on each other. He, Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, but as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't forsake the assembling of the church, meaning don't skip church, because you don't know 
how the church is like without you being here. Isn't that true? The church isn't a church until it is comprised of living beings. So please, and when you plan your schedule, know that our time, this is the time where we come together. And this is the time where we meet God. This is the time when we have life. And lastly, there is the reason why we come together. And that is the reason that Jesus Christ says, when you come together, you partake in the body of Jesus Christ. We remember to show the Lord's death. That is our mandate. We come together so that we encourage each other to show the Lord's death, to speak about the death, the resurrection, and the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's come together. and Father, we come to you today asking, would you reveal your presence to us? Would you reveal yourself to us so that we would know, not just know, Lord, that we would be in this presence, inspiration of God, that you communicate to us, not with our mind, but your essence, your tangible presence conveyed to us by faith. And I pray that as we learn to love each other, we learn to be part of each other's life and have the shared life within us, within this tree of life that you have given to us. And as the more that we grow, the glorious you become through each one of us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.